My eyes leak more as I get older. My friend uh, Ernie, who was uh, 6'3", went about 270, was a big guy. He didn't buy the lie that grown men don't cry. Let me repeat what he said. He said, my eyes leak the older I get. I respected him so much. I watched how he raised four sons, how he dated his wife Kate each week, how he served as a leader at the church that he loved, and he was, besides that, he was just a super, super neat guy. He taught me about eyes leaking when heartache happens, when tragedy strikes, or when death comes. Tears seem to be the mechanism that are hardwired into mortals made in the image of God. And the scripture passage that we're going to interact with this morning is described by Martin Luther, the great German reformer, as tears of empathy. You cannot read this encounter with Hagar without breaking into tears. Because at one level, it looks like she was abandoned. It looks utterly hopeless. But the story ultimately doesn't stop there. The story is not a tearjerker story, but one of hope. We're going to meet this morning a slave girl by the name of Hagar. And this slave, Hagar, gives a name for God and is the very first time that a human gives a name for God. If I could give you a Christmas gift, each one of you a Christmas gift, I'd give you a cup of coffee and an assignment, an assignment to dig into the names of God. And one of the beautiful names of God is what our friend Hagar calls God, the one who sees. God still sees and God still hears. This story that we interact with this morning, this biblical story, is a mess. If you think the characters of Scripture are all saints and are people you cannot relate to, we'll meet Hagar. Spoiler alert, you will be disappointed because Abraham will let you down. And even Hagar herself plays a part in this messed up system. So if you've come to church this morning or if you're listening on the radio or watching online and you have a heavy heart and you're wondering where do you turn, wondering if God really cares and if God really sees and God really hears and knows about you, Hear this word of hope. He does care about you. Maybe you've come this morning and you think, I'm a mess. I'm in a mess. And I've made a mess and created a mess. Maybe you're asking, Pastor, is there a word for me? A resounding yes, yes, and yes. Meet this one named Hagar, who God sees. Name this one named Hagar, who God hears. And in all of this, of the seeing and hearing, know this. That the proof, the living proof, lands in the manger. And the manger can bear the weight of any disappointment, of any weight, of any hurt, of any mess, of any doubt, of any question that you may have. That manger can handle that kind of weight. What a Savior. What a Savior. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, today... We encounter and interact with one of your loved ones, one of your tender ones, your daughter Hagar. You saw her and you heard her in desperation as her son lay dying. How many billions of people throughout time have you heard say, God, do you see me? God, do you hear me? God, do you care about me? Those questions do not surprise you, Father. You saw Hagar's mess, and it did not shock you. You see our mess, and it does not shock you. 
So we come before you as sinful people. This week we have sinned and violated your holy commands in thought, word, and deed. And so we confess. We repent and we turn from our sin. We stand in your holy presence begging and asking for mercy for Christ's sake. So now, friend in Christ, I invite you now to quiet your heart and confess your sins. Say, God, I have sinned and name them. This building and this sanctuary which you are sitting was dedicated 42 years ago to be a place where God meets people and he wants to meet with you today, right now. But we must pray and repent. Turn and acknowledge that he is holy and we are not. We have a friend, a high priest, who is a bridge builder who reaches out and says, I love you. And so I invite you now quietly to confess your sins and then say, Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, you've heard the prayers of confession and of repentance. And so we thank you for this beautiful promise, this beautiful promise that your son, John, wrote. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So based on the full authority of Scripture, not because of who I am, but because of what God has said, your sins are forgiven. So now, Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts this morning that are open, feet to act, hands to serve, time to give you. Move in your church in this beautiful bride called Bethesda. Move for your namesake and for your glory. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Well, this morning, this message is entitled, Emmanuel, God with us. It continues our series, and specifically, we're going to see that God still sees and God still hears, and I am absolutely thrilled that I get to share this message of Hagar. I told my wife last night, I am looking forward to this message because this message on Hagar is so powerful. I want to invite you to turn to your Bibles to page 612 in your pew Bible to Genesis chapter 16. And I promise you that if you interact with God's word and circle and underline and make notes, you'll get more out of this sermon so that when someone says, how was church, you can say, really good. Genesis chapter 16 picks up a story of the account of God's covenant with his son Abraham. It has been actually 10 years since the first promise to God, that to Abraham and to Sarah. And in this passage of scripture, in Genesis chapter 16, we're going to see the fact that God sees and Hagar names. The names that she will call God is Elroy, E-L-R-O-I. Now, you might think that there are just one name for God, like God. But God has multiple names that reveal who he is. God is who his names are. Example, the third word in the Bible, in the beginning, God God there is Elohim. Elohim is almighty, and it's a plural noun, which means Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's one name for God, Elohim. We see another name for God in Genesis chapter 3. When Moses meets God in the burning bush, he says, I am who I am. It's Yahweh, Yahweh, the covenant God. Here we see a new name for God called El Roy, R-O-I, that means God sees. Now let me set that up. It has been 10 years, as I mentioned, that God has said to Abraham and Sarah, I will make you a great nation. Can you see the stars? Yes, they can see the stars, but it's been 10 years and they don't see any car seats. 
Can you count the stars? They can try to count the stars, but they don't see any little babies that are in the crib. It's been 10 years. Would you get impatient? You can nudge the person next to you and say, you would, not me. So this is the story. Genesis chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had been born, had borne him no children, 10 years. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children, so go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abraham had been living in Cana 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And then Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now she knows she's pregnant and she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now a little context of what's going on here. In that day and age, the tradition was that if a, child, if, a, if a couple did not have a child of their own, they could adopt someone else and that adopted child would become their heir. That makes sense, right? That adopted child would become the one that after the couple passed away would inherit the wealth and the land and the mumba and the china dishes too. Let's just throw that in, okay? But what was unique about this, you may say, well, that's odd. You pick that up in Genesis chapter 15 where Abraham says, will Eleazar become my heir? So that's what's going on. That's the tradition that's going on. But in that contract, in that understanding, if a child would be born to the couple from, the adopted, from that adopted child, if the couple would eventually have a kid on their own, then that adopted child would have to acquiesce or step back and give the inheritance back. Does that make sense? But based in that tradition, there was another thing that happened too. There was something that there that you go, hey, that's, that's out of bounds. They couldn't just boot the one who had been born. They couldn't just expel them. So if you're thinking to yourself, Abraham, man up. What's going on? You're listening correctly. Now don't miss the dynamics that are going on. Did you see some of the words? Did you circle the word? Circle the word despise. She despised her mistress. The mistress is used in that sense as the head of the home, the queen. The actual words that are used there are contemptible or lost respect. Do you pick up some of the dynamics that are going on there? Right? And then Sarah mistreats her to the point, to the extent that she left. So Sarah leaves. Excuse me. Hagar leaves. This Egyptian woman leaves. She begins to grow and glow and have that pregnancy glow and she begins to show contempt. The book of Proverbs says this, Proverbs chapter 30 says, there are four sorts of troublesome people. Proverbs 30, a slave who becomes a king, a godless fool when he is filled with fool, and a woman who is unloved when she gets married, and a maid when she replaces her mistress or the queen of the house. Can you pick up the family dynamics that are going on there? 
So we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 6. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. And then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar. This is beautiful. Near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that's beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much they will be too numerous to count. Did you catch that? There's going to be another nation that's multiplied. There's going to be another nation that's uncountable. It's going to be through Hagar and Ishmael. The angel of the Lord said to her, you're now pregnant. You'll give birth to a son and you shall name him Ishmael. File this away. Ishmael's name means God hears. Wow. God hears. For the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. So she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, El Roy. I have now seen the one who sees me. This is why the well was called Ber Le Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abraham a son. Abraham gave him the name Ishmael and to the son she had born. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. Wow. Wow. Here's the point. I want you to have this land in your heart and encourage your soul and feed on it and come back to it this week. As you walk with Jesus this week, God sees Hagar's mess, and he sees yours and mine. He sees Hagar's mess, and he sees yours and mine. Does God see me? You bet he does. For Psalms 139, 1 and 2, this beautiful psalm that we read during Sanctity of Life Sunday. You see me when I rise and fall. You see me when I stand. We, God sees us, Romans chapter 8, that beautiful, some have called it the best passage of Scripture in the entire Bible, Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate you from God. Depths, heights, principalities, nothing can. He sees. He sees the mess that you're in. Well, that wasn't the only time that Hagar fled Flip over to a couple more pages to page 16 in your Bible, the birth of Isaac. And let me just bridge between the first time that she fled and the second time that she fled. And let me just give you a quick story. When I went to seminary, uh, there was a book that impacted my life. It's one of three books outside the Bible. You can ask me about the other two. But this book right here called Generation to Generation impacted my life. It is hard reading. It is little print, it is super boring, and there's no pictures, and it's powerful. It's called Generation to Generation by Edwin Friedman. He's a Jewish psychiatrist out in New York, and he built this book that was called Family Systems and Church Systems, and I remember reading it slowly, making notes. I went back over it to prepare for this sermon. I went, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, it was so powerful. And it impacted me and it helped equip me as a pastor of understanding systems and systems thinking 
in churches and in families. And as I processed that, I thought, Lord, how can I, how can I share what you've taught me? And so this crazy idea, this is not an announcement, don't go there. But I thought of a baby mobile. And what happens when a baby mobile is over a crib? You know what happens when you touch one? Some, they all bounce. And systems aren't about keeping it balanced. Systems are about what's healthy. And so think of the system that you just read from the scriptures. Here's Abraham, the father of the nations, the one who is called uh, by Abraham. Abraham walked with God. He was a friend of God. And then you have Sarah, who, who, who says, let's fix this promise. Let's fix this promise, and let's take Hagar, and some have said that the only thing she did was obey her masters. But you read, how did she treat her master? With contempt. And then you add this one, this boy by the name of Ishmael. He comes in. He's just been conceived. All of these dynamics play, and when they interact with each other, now, you've got, now you've got Abraham who's interacting with Sarah, and Sarah, who's interacting with Hagar, and how is that going? You think there's some tension in the family? Oh, by the way, somebody else comes on the scene. Isaac. Isaac comes on now. It's been 14 years, the Bible says, since Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar have watched little Ishmael grow up. From an infant to a toddler to now a middle schooler. He's now 14 years old when Isaac comes on the scene. How's that going to go? The Bible says this. After he was weaned, about two to three years old, during a feast, Ishmael started mocking Isaac. The name whose, his name is called laughter. Wordplay by the writer for the book of Genesis, he starts taunting, mocking. Do 16 and 17 year olds act that way? Did you? Do I have to confess that too, pastor? All of these family dynamics are going on. Isaac with his dad. Isaac with his mom. Isaac with Hagar. What's that relationship all about? These two boys. And then, and then, she flees again. That's where we pick up our story. Genesis chapter 21. Don't listen to the music and fall asleep, okay? The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was, was weaned, Abraham had a great feast. This happens during a party. A festive time. It's supposed to be fun, 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 fun. Not. Sarah saw that the son whom Agar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking, taunting. Was it verbal abuse? I don't know, but you can definitely connect this dot. It wasn't healthy, true? That's not what's going on. 
Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. Ishmael's his son too. Isaac's his son. Ishmael's his son. How's this going to play out? But God said to him, don't be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offering will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation. Second promise, because he's your offspring. The covenant God shows his compassion to all people all the time. Take that away. Early the next morning, Abraham stood, took some food and, and some skin of water and gave them to Hagar. And he set them on his shoulders, and then he sent her off with the boy. Now it wasn't just her. It was him too. She went on her way, and she wandered in the desert of Beersheba. And when the water in the skin, in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of his bushes, and then she went off, and she sat down a, about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And she sat there, and she began to sob. Do you hear sobbing? God did. God heard the boy, Ishmael, and his name means God hears. From heaven and said, what's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He became a mighty warrior. He became a mighty archer. If you're asking the question this morning, do you hear me, God? Very clearly, he hears your sobs. You may feel kicked out or thrown out. Hear this daughter of the king, son of the most high God. There is not a rock you can hide under that he doesn't see. There is no whisper that he turns a dead, deaf ear to. The proof is the manger. The manger of Bethlehem can handle the weight of messes and dysfunctions and disappointments and hurt and hurts because God has come in the flesh and he's come in the flesh in a unique way. Isaac would come from a 90-year-old woman who was long past her childbearing years, but still through a husband, but not Jesus. Jesus would come in a supernatural way. One of my favorite quotes, I think about it every Christmas, was, Larry, was from Larry King the king of CNN for 25 years. He had a late night show. He was asked if he could interview anyone in history, who would it be? Jesus. But the quote gets better. He said, I would ask Jesus one question. Were you born of a virgin? The answer will change all of history. And it has. It's changed all of history. He sees your mess, he hears your voice, and he, he says, I care. Bethlehem is the proof. Printed in your bulletins, I would have you take a look at a chart that, that is a comparison chart. If you're watching or online, uh, take a look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 24 through 31. Here's, here's how this relates to this passage of Scripture. It's 2,000 years later from when Abraham was born and lived and Sarah 
Hagar, Isaac, Ishmael, and it's 2,000 years later, Galatians chapter 4, that Paul gives perspective. Paul, the New Testament writer. Paul, the missionary. Paul, the church planner. Now Paul is going to give a perspective, like give us a lens of what's going on. He takes historical facts and he builds this beautiful arc, this beautiful arc of redemptive truths. In other words, saying there's something bigger going on with Sarah and Hagar. And, and it lands in Bethlehem. The language, he says, there's two covenants going on. You've got Hagar, the slave woman, compared to Sarah, Abraham's wife. You've got two boys, Ishmael, who is born physically, and you've got Isaac, who is born, in a sense, supernaturally. She was way past childbearing years. Sarah walks into the nursery, and you would say, are you the great-grandma? No, I'm the, I'm the mom. Wow. The other comparison is one was natural birth and one was supernatural birth, not a virgin birth like Christ would. But Hagar represents the old covenant and Isaac represented the new covenant. Who, who said on the last night of his life, this is the new covenant? King Jesus did, didn't he? And the two represent, the two represent the law in what we try to naturally do and God's supernatural, abundant gift, grace found in Christ. All the nations would come. The nations would come after this one who was born in the manger. There came magi from afar and they brought gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They asked Herod, where is this king of the Jews? This one born in Bethlehem. Where is he? And they came and they worshipped him. And Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Wow. Spending time this week with Abraham and this family dynamics that were going on and the mess and the dysfunction and the perspective. I thought a lot about Abraham. So one summary thought is this. Abraham, I wish, would have had guts. I wish he would have said, no, she's not going to be kicked out of our house. But as I thought about Abraham, we read about Genesis chapter 21. How hard would it be to lose your son, to have him kicked out, to be fleeing, to be exiled, and never see him again? How hard would that be? except it's followed by Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham was asked to sacrifice his other son and wrestle with this. Which one would be worse? Number two summary thought of this message is a promised son would come and heal the nations. A promised son would come. The one who sees Elroy, the one who hears Ishmael, and the one who is with us Emmanuel, he would come. And the Prince of Peace would come riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. The Prince of Peace would come. 
The manger is the proof of the living grace for you and me. I'm not sure what your week has been like. I'm not sure what your relationships are like, what you're facing, the family dynamics that you have. I can point you to this manger right there and say with all the confidence in the world, this manger can handle the weight that you carry. That's why it's called good news. Amen? Yes, let's pray. Lord, what a beautiful story. What a beautiful account of this daughter of yours who you cared about. She could have been thrown away. She could have been forgotten, but you saw her and you heard her. And Lord Jesus, Bethlehem matters because you came in the manger for us to see us, to hear us, to save us, to rescue us, to heal us, to give us hope. We thank you for that. We worship you. We adore you. We praise you. We give you our lives. In Christ's name, amen.